0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on when you're listening to this. I sound a little bit like Jim Carrey in The Truman Show there. This is The Richard Roper Show. I am Richard Roper. Thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast, sharing it with others, downloading, subscribing, all that good stuff. We're going to talk today about uh, Halloween ends which opened just last week and give you the latest box office numbers and my impression of the movies. We're going to rank all the Halloween movies. There have been 174 of them, something like that. Uh, And also going to give you some reviews of stuff that has been uh, hitting theaters and streaming in the last uh, couple of weeks, all of that and much, much more. But first, here's your reminder that The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, all of this to drive your overall business success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace.
1: I was certain that I saw him watching me. You pretend like you moved on, but you're actually just obsessed with death. What are you going to do when Michael comes back for you? Because he is coming. But this time, something feels different. He's more dangerous. You came here to kill me, so do it.
0: Okay, that's a clip from Halloween Ends, which opened last week across North America. Actually, even in some international markets, Halloween Ends is the third entry in David Gordon Green's uh, reboot or updated Halloween trilogy, if you will. Those three movies, which have come out in the last few years, ignore all the films that came between the original Halloween back in 1978 and then the release of the three Halloween movies. So they're kind of direct sequels to the original. Halloween Ends did $42 million in ticket sales in 3,901, exactly 3,901 theaters across North America. That's the first movie to hit $40 million in its opening weekend since Nope in July. Now, internationally, the film made another about $17, $18 million. So it's right around the $60 million mark. And I'll say this much for the Halloween films. You know, they don't cost a lot of money to make. You can see that on the screen. They're usually kind of, some of them are are well shot. The cinematography is pretty good, but other than Jamie Lee Curtis, we don't really have any big name actors in these films. So there's not a lot of salary out there. And only in recent years, Jamie Lee didn't make much money at all for the original Halloween movie, but she's doing quite well now and should the movies are set in haddonfield illinois i'm speaking to you guys here from chicago illinois and i can tell you that haddonfield is not a real town kind of looks like a suburb filming of the halloween movies has taken place in california a lot i think they did one in utah you know any place but illinois and famously in the first halloween movie you can get uh Couple of glimpses of palm trees in the background, uh, and we have no palm trees here in Illinois. I can uh, confirm that for you as well. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, sixty million dollars—that movie has already more than doubled its production budget. This movie was made for about twenty-five million bucks. So you know, even though it's called Halloween Ends, and I don't know if that's a threat or a promise. In in my case, I'm I'm hoping to get that in writing. The fact that it's already made $60 million internationally, it's going to make probably a hundred million or more in its theatrical run. It's coming streaming. It'll have all the other ancillary, you know, types of digital and and even some people still get, uh, you know, the, the 4K Blu-ray and all that. This movie's going to make well over $100 million on a budget of $25 million. This, I will predict to you, my friends, it is not the end of the Halloween franchise. They'll figure something out one way or another. You know, they've killed Michael Myers and spoiler alert, it looks like they killed him again. They've killed him off like 10 times and he always comes back or they'll just give him a twin brother or they'll have somebody else, you know, take on the mask. It's not hard to figure out a way to bring back the franchise. They've done it a million times. Let's run through some of the Halloween movies uh, uh, and rank them from from worst to best. I'll start off by saying I thought Halloween Ends was pure garbage. Uh, I liked the original, not the original. Well, first of all, I did like the original Halloween way back in the day. That's probably the best of the series. We'll do the rankings in a moment. Uh, and I liked the Halloween uh, reboot that David Gordon Green did, the direct sequel that came out almost 40 years after the original. The last two, they're just spinning their wheels. And in Halloween Ends, we get kind of a, a, a new Michael Myers type. There's a young kid in the neighborhood in Haddonfield, a teenager. Uh, he's babysitting and in the opening prologue, uh, he kills the kid in a, in a horrific accident, which I actually say was actually pretty uh, ingenious the way they set it up. Uh, it turns out that they, you know, it was an accident, but he's a pariah in the town and everyone thinks he's a killer. And he starts taking on kind of Michael Myers-esque qualities. In the meantime, Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode is, uh, has started to embrace Halloween. She's decided that she's going to lean into it after all these years and stop hiding. And she's writing her memoirs, and she's even doing Halloween decorations and telling her granddaughter to go to a Halloween party. And I'm like, really? Laurie's going to embrace? She's going to lean into Halloween after all the trauma she's been through? I think not and uh, they almost forget to make it a michael myers movie he's not even in it very much until about halfway through and then when he i mean even mike myers folks looks tired the guy the actual character if you do the timeline would be like close to 65 now and uh you know he's he wouldn't even clear the uh, nfl's concussion protocol to get back in the game at this point the guy's been through a lot so he doesn't seem all that invincible As the shape, you know, with the mask Uh, and, as always, the law enforcement in Haddonfield is the worst ever because this is set four years after the most recent Halloween film before that. uh, Where he escaped right after, even though it looked like he had been killed, he somehow, you know, he killed half the town and then escaped and they can never find this guy and it turns out he's just hanging out like you know. You know, kind of a good, like a, well, I won't give it away if you haven't seen it yet. All I can tell you is he's still in the same area code all this time and no one has spotted him like at the grocery store. How does Michael Myers sustain himself, you know, between killings? He's got to get groceries. He's got to go to the bathroom. I don't think he showers that often, but, you know, it looks like he gets a haircut. His hair not down to his knees. So, you know, people once in a while you think would spot him in Hadfield. And it's just cheap trash and it's got a bunch of grisly killings and as usual too, people in the town don't even seem to react that much when, when a bunch of people go missing. So Halloween ends is terrible. Let's go through uh, quickly the Halloween canon from my feeling from worst to first, I would put maybe as the worst of them all, Halloween Resurrection from 2002. Tomorrow night, you will enter the childhood home of our most brutal mass murderer. The home has been rigged up with several cameras, but for the most part, the audience will see only what you see. Six friends have been offered fame and fortune. All they need to do is stay the night. Let the danger-tainment begin! <laughs> now this is one of those many halloween films that just uh ignores previous halloween films uh and this is the one where uh they decide um that uh, the internet is a big thing so they got a bunch of teenagers who decide they're going to spend a night in michael myers childhood home and they're gonna you know show it on the internet and it just has got a, a bunch of ridiculous scenes uh bad acting no continuity from the previous halloween movies and Believe it or not, if you don't remember this, uh, you could probably find this on YouTube. Do not watch the entire movie, but Michael Myers has a kung fu fight with Buster Rhymes in Halloween Resurrection. So you want to be on Dangertainment? Let's see what you got. Why? Yo, Mike, come see me. Michael, come and see me. Look at me. Why? Me? Huh? Fuck. Also terrible Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers from 1989. Michael Myers had been in a coma. He awakens. He comes back to Haddonfield and uh, Dr. Loomis gets into this whole thing about a psychic link between uh, his niece, Michael Myers' niece and Michael and... Um, it's one of these things that tries to get into a little bit of psychological thriller and it's just really really horrible counting down again from worst to best halloween 2 in 2009 was terrible this was the sequel to one of the halloween reboots that does bring michael myers and laurie strode together once more but it's just a weird grunge type movie a lot of a lot of violence and um you get uh octavia spencer early in her career and uh, she doesn't make it out of the movie alive, much to the credit of Octavia Spencer's career. In 1981, we had Halloween two. Let's listen to a clip from Halloween two.
1: Universal Pictures presents Halloween two. More of the night he came home. <laughs> there was nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason that wasn't even remotely human. Help me. Halloween two. Or of the night he came home.
0: So this is just a couple of years after the original Halloween. He has survived, of course, the famous shot we get near the end of Halloween, letting us know that Michael Myers has escaped. Now he comes to the hospital where Laurie is at and tries to kill her again. Um, you can tell this was not directed by John Carpenter who did the original classic. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of horror movies, including a couple of the Halloween movies. They did this uh, in one of the Scream movies where things take place in the hospital where someone's recovering. And it's always amazing to me how quiet and dark the hospital is in the middle of the night. You know, hospitals don't really close. Yeah, I mean, certain offices do, but there's usually some security and some nurses, you know, just in case people need somebody. Yeah, there's an emergency, Uh, but not in Halloween, too continuing on here's one you probably forgot halloween six the curse of michael myers this came out in 1995 uh this is notable mostly uh because it pretty much introduced paul rudd to the world if you go back and look at it and even then even when paul rudd was just starting in his career he's got a look on his face like i can't believe i'm in halloween six the curse of michael myers terrible halloween four came out a few years before that that was the return of michael myers there's a lot of curses and returns and Uh, He's back again, Michael Myers in these subtitles, 1988. Halloween 4 comes after, you know, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, they didn't even have uh, Michael Myers basically in the movie. Now they bring him back, and he's once again trying to take out his family, and Dr. Loomis is once again trying to to save Michael Myers from himself and save everybody else from Michael Myers, pretty terrible, which brings us to Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 1982. This is the one that's all about the mask maker, that uh goes through this ancient celtic ritual um it's a strange movie it's not the worst thing ever but it just doesn't really have any connection to the halloween franchise and just last year we had halloween kills that was a 2021 release um and this is the one member where in, in 2018's halloween which was the sequel to the 1978 film Michael Myers is trapped in the burning building, but then those firemen, those poor firemen come to, to put out the fire and he takes out all the firemen and gets out and gets away. And that's the setup for Halloween Kills, which did not kill. Uh, moving up a little bit, a little bit in quality. Uh, 1998, we had Halloween H2O. Halloween H2O or H20, I guess, because it really wasn't about water. So I guess we call it a Halloween H20. 20 years later this came out 20 years after the original in 1998 let's take a listen to Halloween h 20 20 years later
1: look I know today is the day but I think Oh, really what day is that John Halloween oh, I hadn't noticed mom
0: we're through with all that
1: Ronnie the phones are out
0: there's a strange car parked down at the gate but I can't seem to find any signs of trespassing
1: What are you doing? I'm just going to go find
0: John. So this one uh, actually does leave Haddonfield and Michael Myers goes to California to try to get Laurie. Not bad, actually pretty well done and a little bit more in keeping with the whole Halloween canon. So I don't mind Halloween H20. I just want to keep calling it Halloween H20. I don't know why. Halloween H20, 20 years later from 1998. Uh, In 2007, we had one of the many films in the Halloween franchise called Halloween. Uh, And this was a complete reboot, almost a complete reboot. And this is Rob Zombie who uh, directed it, which uh, I I like Rob Zombie's approach. He's a guy that really loves horror movies. And it's kind of a reboot, kind of a tribute to the original Halloween. I don't mind Halloween 2007. And then we mentioned uh, Halloween in 2018. This is the one that told you to forget about all the Halloween movies, all of them, except for the original from 1978, a direct sequel. And they did a great job with this. And, you know, Laurie Strode becomes kind of the hunter rather than the hunted. And uh, what I also liked about this, it just returns Michael Myers to sort of his supernatural boogeyman and doesn't try to get into any kind of psychological analysis or family history or Michael as a child or any of that stuff. He's just a monster who comes at night. Uh, Really well done, Halloween 2018, which brings us then, of course, to the original.
1: Halloween night, a small American town, 15 years ago. Michael? Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him. And then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Halloween.
0: Halloween, the night he came home. Halloween, 1978. You know, this is right around the time, really. I mean, there have been horror films for as long, going all the way back to Nosferatu in 1922. You know, we've had great horror films in hollywood but this was sort of the beginning of the slasher age for better or worse you know and we got halloween movies we got the nightmare on elm street movies the friday the 13th films and a lot of lesser knockoffs uh, i would argue that the original halloween from 1978 might be the best of them all uh made on a very small budget john carpenter does a great job here it's interesting too because i think there's maybe a half dozen kills most in this movie compared to uh, and they actually comment on that in the uh, 2018 halloween movie so it's kind of compared to a lot of slasher movies the body count isn't high but it seems real it's just got great cinematography the young cast is terrific including jamie lee curtis so the best halloween movie of them all yes halloween all right let's take a break rocon is going to tell you about portillo's and then we're going to come back with some reviews of stuff that has recently come out or is just about to hit theaters or streaming
1: But first, let me tell you about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. And that is absolutely true. I'm not making that up. Mm-hmm. I, I I probably yeah. order from or eat, drive through a Portillo's drive through and eat from Portillo's mm. I probably once a week. Probably, I would say. And you know why? Because they got the best hot dogs. They got the best Italian beef. They got the best... Italian sausage, and <laughs> they got great salads, they got great french fries, they got great everything that you want, if it's comfort food, or uh, what do they call fast casual now, whatever that is, hmm. you, you have got to stop by Portillo's if you haven't done it yet, and if you live outside of the area in which there are Portillo's, you can order the stuff Online, And I always tell you, order the chocolate cake because it's the best chocolate cake you're ever going to have in your life. You can think, well, now how is a fast casual restaurant in Chicago going to make the best chocolate cake I've ever had in my life? Trust me, it is. There are people all over the planet Earth that actually order that cake for their weddings and they build wedding cakes out of the individual chocolate cakes. I'm not making that up. <laughs> Try it. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. That's how you spell it. Portillos. Every so often, a very lucky candidate from the outside is selected for admission to this hallowed institution. We've been expecting you. The School for Good and Evil, where the true story behind every great fairy tale begins. The school for good trains the heroes, the school for evil, the villains. You're trying to tell me that Snow White and Cinderella and Jack and the Beanstalk were real. Our graduates live the very real events which
0: become the stories that change the world. Okay, that's a clip from the school for good and evil. This is a Netflix original fantasy epic. You may have heard of the books. There's a series of books from, uh, called The School for Good and Evil, and then its sequels. Kind of a Harry Potter epic fantasy story with supernatural elements. Um, this is uh, directed and uh, co-written by Paul Feig, who did uh, the original TV series Freaks and Geeks and Bridesmaids and A Simple Favor. I, I love Paul's a lot of Paul's work. Um, and this is a-, a feature film that's almost two and a half hours long, guys. And the setup here is two young girls living in you know kind of fairy tale land a long time ago. In a you know kind of typical kind of village where Cinderella might live, they get swooped into this magical land of Gaveldon, which has schools for good and evil. That's the premise here, and this is where young people, you know, high school, it's kind of like Hogwarts, except for even more magical, if you will. The school for good is where you learn how to be the protagonists in fairy tales, in, in actual fairy tales, such as Cinderella and Robin Hood, and the School of Evil is where they train the villains. So the idea here is you go to the school for good and evil, you get your training, and then you go out into the so-called real world and you live out these fairy tales, which kind of uh, get told through the generations. So the conceit here is that fairy tales are actually real within the conceit of the movie. It's got a pretty amazing cast here. Uh, the adult actors include uh, Kate Blanchett is the narrator, Charlize Theron plays the lead professor at the School of Evil. Carrie Washington is a professor at the School of Good. Lawrence Fishburne is the schoolmaster. I mean, pretty amazing case. Uh, they all kind of overact, to be honest with you, though. They're all doing kind of very, I guess, on purpose, deliberately kind of cartoony villainous or heroic uh, voices. But I found it to be overdone and broad. And then the young cast. You know, unfortunately, sometimes they just don't click. One of the reasons the Harry Potter franchise worked through all of those films was, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and everybody else up and down the line. The young actors were terrific. You know, you don't really know what you're getting, especially with Harry Potter when they were so young. You know, sometimes they get older and they're not as good of actors and they always remain, and to this day, they're terrific actors. Here, I found the young actors playing the heroes and the villains not the greatest to be honest with you so given like two stars to the school for good and evil might have worked better as a as a limited series with 30 or 40 minute chunks as a two and a half hour feature film kind of endless and kind of uninspired uh here's another disappointment for you the good policeman And this is a prestige project uh um, this is based on a novel as well uh set in the 50s and the 1990s and in the 50s in london Uh, harry styles plays this young policeman who is going to get married but actually is in love with another man
1: i want you to be my wife
0: i pity people who don't know what it feels like to be
1: this in love come with me just you and i he's trying to destroy our marriage no hiding lies you know nothing about being married to (coughs) Telling me what I'm supposed to think about it. He was always in your life, in our lives.
0: Museum curator, and it's all about the friendship and the dynamic between the three people and the wife eventually figuring out that her husband is gay. And of course, in 1950s London, it's literally illegal to be gay. So there's a huge scandal. And then we flash forward to the 1990s and pick up all three of the characters in their late 60s still kind of dealing with the events from the 1950s so it's got that whole prestige project look to it uh, terrific uh, cast well directed but really kind of dull to be honest with you and flat and surprisingly uh Timid in, in its own ways, even though it's very, you know, it's got some pretty frank sexual scenes. And obviously it's for the time in the 1950s, some incendiary material, controversial stuff. But it just plays out in such a predictable fashion. I cannot recommend The Good Policeman. Another one, Amsterdam. Now you want to talk about a prestige project. Everybody's in Amsterdam. There's Oscar winners galore. Uh, it had a huge buildup. Everybody was talking about Amsterdam, you know, David O. Russell, who's done everything from Three Kings to American Hustle, one of our best directors. And it's got this amazing cast led by Christian Bale and John David Washington and uh, Margot Robbie. And it just keeps going on. I mean, Taylor Swift shows up, Anya Taylor-Joy, Zoe Saldana, Timothy Oliphant, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, maybe the most star-studded cast of the year. Uh, Very strange film set in World War I and then the aftermath. And again, it's actually about a friendship between three people. Again, not the same as The Good Policeman. But these three main characters. And it it wants to be a farce. It wants to be a social commentary. Uh, It wants to get serious at certain points. It wants to draw parallels to modern-day politics. And it fails at all of those. So two soldiers and a nurse
1: found ourselves in... Amsterdam we formed a pact and we swore to protect each other no matter what We find ourselves in a situation where we're accused of killing someone which is not true You and Woodman fled the scene the killer pointed at us. We didn't do anything. Why would you possibly think that was us? Well, there's not too many people that fit the description of a doctor looking for his eye on the ground with his uh, black attorney Columbia Law School
0: It's tasteless, it's offensive, it's uh, unending. Uh, The great, great cast here proves that if you don't have a good screenplay, even the best actors in the world can't save it. One of the worst movies of the year, Amsterdam. All right, let's move on to some good stuff, folks, before we say goodbye for this edition of The Richard Roper Show. I really enjoyed a film called Raymond and Ray. Our father is dead. His last wish was that his sons attend his funeral. Reno
1: has to go, he's dead. He'll never know. You're a very tender man, you know that?
0: Okay, your father's last will.
1: It was his wish that you dig his grave. What? The old man was always screwing with us. What was he like as a father? The worst. Like a weight on my chest. Forgiveness is good. Hi guys, this is my son, Simon, Raymond, and Ray. Your brothers.
0: Hello. Right. now this stars this is one of those small indie looking films Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke play half brothers here's an interesting little tidbit for you those guys are the same age believe it or not uh, and McGregor and Ethan Hawke in real life are both 51 years old I'm not sure who I thought was older but I didn't think they were the same age now in the movie they don't play twins but they're pretty close in age they're half brothers they had uh, a father who could only be described as the world's biggest asshole, mistreated both of them and was never around, would beat them, but still had this dominant presence in their lives. And they find out that he died and they decide to make a take a road trip and go to their dad's funeral and say goodbye in some ways to say good riddance. So it's kind of a classic road movie. And then they introduce all these kind of eccentric characters and they find out a lot of things about their father they ever knew. But it's basically mostly about the dynamic between Raymond and Ray. The fact that their father named them both Raymond tells you what a jerk he was. He thought that would be funny because there'd always be confusion then between which son he was talking to, which kid was getting into trouble. That's why they're known as Raymond and Ray. Quirky film sometimes goes a little bit over the top with the, you know, eccentricity. But I really enjoyed it. The writing is very strong and uh, Ethan Hawke and Ewan McGregor are terrific together. It's interesting because, you know, Ewan McGregor has so often played majestic characters, heroes, and... Ethan Hawke is often playing, you know, anti-heroes kind of guys on the fringes of life. And they play, they play into those stereotypes and off each other really, really well. So check that out, Raymond and Ray. Here's another one I thought was uh, one of the best acted movies of the year with great performances. It's called The Good Nurse. Let's take a listen.
1: Just, you know, work's been pretty awful without you there. You and I were partners. You know, I don't want to talk about work. Is it because what they're saying is true? been at nine hospitals Nine. Oh, what do you mean no the hospital would have done something you would think so, so yeah do you remember working with someone named charlie colin yeah there was a rumor about him they found insulin in a dead guy's saline bag
0: So here's the premise for the good nurse. Believe it or not, this is based on the true story of a male nurse in uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, the Northeast in the late 90s and the early 2000s who actually killed dozens if not hundreds of patients and he he would inject various clear drugs into saline bags so they weren't detected until after the fact and sometimes not even after the fact to murder patients and actually happened in real life. The good nurse, the title character, is actually based on a true character. Jessica Chastain plays a nurse who meets this guy who's played by Eddie Redmayne, and they strike up a friendship, and it's pretty deep into the movie before she starts to realize that this guy isn't who she thought he was. You know, she had let him into her family. He's babysitting and hanging out with her two young daughters. She's a single mother. He's a single father. They're both, you know, had gone through some tough relationships. There's not a romance between them, which I thought was a wise choice. That would have been too hokey, but a friendship, a a deep friendship. And then the police come to her and say, you got to help us. We think this guy is actually killing patients. And it goes into the whole investigation. Again, based on a true story, incredible acting in The Good Nurse. All right, let's cap things off. I want to mention a great Netflix documentary. If you're into sports docs, uh, which I am, uh, especially when they're really done well like this one it's called the redeem team it's on netflix this is all about the 2008 u.s men's olympic basketball team and this is really fascinating because if you go back and you think about this or if this is all new to you it's really interesting because the 2008 united states men's team uh, was an interesting mix of young stars and veterans but They were not considered prohibitive favorites to win. In fact, in 2004, the Olympic team had been destroyed by Puerto Rico. They lost a couple other games. They ended up getting the bronze medal in 2004. And there was this feeling that maybe the international game and the team style had kind of passed by the more conventional, if you will, one-on-one selfish, all-star type approach that the men's team had been taking in the Olympics. So for 2008, they got uh, Mike Krzyzewski, the great Coach K, which is interesting because that's a college coach, coaching pros, and they decided to just revamp everything. A US squad with NBA players lost for the first time ever in the Olympics. It was ugly to watch. If you follow basketball, then you know the nickname of this year's squad, the Redeem Team. The Redeem Team. The Redeem Team. The Redeem team. Oh! They think They take a bunch of showboat players. He's want to do the dirty work to win. I was young, but I understood what it meant to build chemistry. Because if that didn't work, there's no way in hell none of this was going to work. Cole said, I'm tired of watching y'all lose. I'm like, I love this energy. This is what we need. Now let me give you So you had young players. LeBron James was still three or four years away from winning a championship. Uh, You had Kobe Bryant, who was a huge star, but at the time was considered to be all about Kobe and very selfish. There was a lot of controversy with him and Shaq in Los Angeles and then Dwayne Wade and guys like that. They also had Chris Paul. They had Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, Jason Kidd. So there was a huge talent there. But the cool thing was they all got together and over a two-year period, they played in different international competitions. They put in a lot of time and practice and really devoted themselves to becoming a team. And it's just great seeing the old clips. Uh, They had a really epic final battle against Spain in the gold medal game. Great clips and then interviews with everybody, you know, obviously. Uh, also remembering Kobe very fondly. And, And LeBron has some really great insights. And there's some older interviews with the late Kobe Bryant as well. So check it out. It's called The Redeem Team. And you know it's one of those sports documentaries that even if you're not a huge sports fan, you might get a kick out of it. All right, that does it for this week. I'm Richard Roper. Thank you for listening to the Richard Roper podcast. And we'll talk again soon.